Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's all turning rotten for the Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn as the reality of what is happening around them actually sinks in after a humiliating day in the House of Commons. Opposition MPs turned on Corbyn last night, accusing him of incompetence and misjudgments during the election campaign. It's hard to see him lasting another three months in the job, isn't it? Meanwhile, the battle to replace him goes on and Keir Starmer, the token man in the race, has given an interview to The Guardian this morning warning against a lurch to the right. His words, not mine. Surely the first thing they have to do is form some kind of Brexit policy that actually makes sense. Remain or leave or, com- or, or some kind of competition uh, in which they say this is a, the terms under which we would like the bill to be uh, set out. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll be finding out just why illegal immigrants are still crossing the channel by the hundreds, despite millions of pounds being handed over to the French to stop it by the Home Office. And we'll be asking why calling people nerds and geeks could soon be a hate crime. 0344 499 1000. Plus, we'll investigate just how Whirlpool got it so wrong with their flammable washing machines. After all, they only had one job. Make a washing machine that doesn't spontaneously combust. I mean, how hard could that be? 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest great radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The front page of The Guardian this morning has got an interview with Keir Starmer, an exclusive interview indeed is what it says, Uh, and it says we must put an end to damaging labour infighting, and certainly by the sounds of it, uh, last night there was an awful lot of damaging infighting going on uh, at a meeting at which Jeremy Corbyn was lambasted uh, for being incompetent and for getting it all wrong during the election campaign. We're going to speak to Chris Bryant uh, very shortly, Labour MP for Rhonda, Uh, but first, before we do that, let's have a listen to the contrasting sounds from the House of Commons yesterday. First up, uh, the new Speaker of the House, of course, introduces the Prime Minister. That's my commitment to the House. Prime Minister! And now, Jeremy Corbyn. Can I call the Leader of the Opposition? Right on Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I join the Can I join the Prime Minister in remembering the horror of what happened on London Bridge? It's a pretty shocking moment, I'm afraid, for Jeremy Corbyn, because not only was there a very lacklustre response to him taking to the dispatch box, but that then uh, there was a sort of mockery from the opposition benches. Let's talk to Chris Bryant and see what he's making of it. Well, Chris, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Congratulations, first of all, for getting back in, because uh, many of your colleagues didn't quite make that. But um, it's not going terribly well, is it? 
Uh, well, more to the point, it didn't go very well last week. Yeah, um, I'm thoroughly aware of that. Thanks. No, I don't mean it didn't go very well last week. I mean, it's not going very well now either. Well, it's kind of inevitable that when, when you have a massive, catastrophic fourth defeat in a row, that, um, you know, it's going to be pretty bruising and um, bloody. Yes. Uh, fairly inevitable, I think. And, um, uh, you know, sometimes I kind of wish we could all go away and do all of this in a, in a, in a quiet space without everybody watching us, but that, that's the nature of politics. Unfortunately, that's not the way it works, is it? And unfortunately nope. as well, there's an awful lot of MPs, and I don't know whether you're going to join them, uh, who are now saying that Jeremy Corbyn got it all wrong, uh, he should never have done this, he should never have done that. Uh, obviously, um, you know, it would have been good if they'd maybe said that before now. Well, it's always a difficult balancing act, isn't it? Because, you know, look, I mean, every second door in the Ronda, voters who've always voted Labour forever were telling me, sometimes with tears in their eyes, that they couldn't vote Labour this time because of Jeremy Corbyn. And that was... Uh, sometimes it was Jeremy Corbyn stroke Brexit. It was a kind of combination of the two. But, but um, and that, you know, that was a repeated thing. Now, you... Uh, you, you could have a go at me for not saying that endlessly for the last two years, but I couldn't see what practical purpose that was going to serve because Jeremy was the leader of the Labour Party. Yeah, but Chris, um, you've, all, you've always been pretty true to your cause. You know, you and I have had many uh, disagreements and arguments about stuff, but you've always said that you would prefer to remain in the European Union. He wasn't yeah. able to say that, and I think because of that position of fence-sitting, it did great damage to, to an awful lot of candidates because people were confused <clears throat> about what your position was. I, well, I think that was true in the referendum, actually, as well. In 2016, I think Jeremy's position wasn't very clear. Um, I think it's two-thirds of Labour voters didn't know what Labour's position was in the referendum. Mm. And maybe if we'd been a bit more urgent in our campaigning then, we, we might have had a different set of outcomes and so on. But look, you know, this is all crying over spilled milk in a way. Um, and um, what, we've got to learn the lessons from what happened last week. And... Um, I think those who say it's all about Jeremy is slightly sort of missing the point because um, the thing is we lost four general elections in a row. Yeah. Now, we have done that before. That was 79, 83, 87, 92. Um, but we started the, 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 you know, the, the work after the 1983 election and it was still another 14 years that we were in opposition. Yes. I remember I was Frank Dobson's... I went to Frank Dobson's funeral um, earlier this weekend. <coughs> Excuse me. And... Um, I was Frank Dobson's agent in 1992, and I remember sitting in the car with him at four o'clock in the morning, and both of us in floods of tears because Frank was the shadow energy minister who we expected to go into government as energy minister, and we would have introduced a scheme for compensating people who'd had chronic obstructive pulmonary disease in the mines. Um, ironically, you know, uh, ten years later, I was MP for the Ronda, and we we were only then being able to compensate um, uh, former miners. And many had died in the in the interim. So, it, you know, it is a painful thing when you lose, and the things that you'd wanted to do, you're not able to do. It's it's not really about the party; it's more about what you're not able to do. Yeah, but also when you were up against Margaret Thatcher, you were up against a sort of a force uh, of nature and a, and, a, and, a, and a political ideology. Whereas you've been up against the likes of David Cameron and Theresa May, uh, which is by no means anything like as formidable. And the, and the cure for what happened back in the sort of 70s and 80s, late 70s, early 80s, was to turn the party into uh, a party of the centre and, and new Labour. And that's why Tony Blair got elected in 1997, because he appeared to be uh, a moderate individual. So Keir Starmer this morning saying, we don't want to lurch to the right, seems to me to be the worst thing he could have ever said. I'm not, I'm not convinced about the left-right sort of um, equation. I think it's more about credible, incredible. 
Um, because there were lots of things, for instance, in the manifesto, both in 2017 and 2019, which I think a lot of voters liked, like, you know, nationalising the railways. I think lots of people think that they should be in public hands. Um, well, I'm actually and, one of those people, believe it or not. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So, I, and and um, I think polling shows that that has something like 80% support around the country. But the problem was that in our manifesto this time, we, it was like we were going to nationalise everything. Yes, I know. Um, and when you started and, to look at it, what they actually... started to feel incredible. Yeah, when you started to look at the, the detail of, of, of what was going to change in the economy and, and in industry, it looked as though we were suddenly going to be looking at a completely different way of life, a very, very different uh, economy, and in a very, very different um, sort of world, basically, that it was all going to be suddenly, lot, uh, you know, sort of very, very left-wing socialism, which a lot of people don't like. Well, I was with you until the last kind of bit of the sentence because <laughs> I, th I think there are an awful lot of people in the, in, certainly in my constituency in Rwanda, which has some of the you know biggest um, problems of any constituency, not only in the UK but in Europe as well, and incidentally received an awful lot of money from the European Union. But um, let's leave that to one side for the moment. I mean, there are a lot of my constituents would say, yes, I do want a completely different um, way way of running the economy. Um, I'm not sure that that necessarily means that they want. Um, you know, BT nationalised, um, but they certainly want to see radical change in the country because, um, you know, we have gross levels of inequality and, and uh, you know, people living in conditions which I don't think any of us would want to. And more importantly, the most depressing thing for me is people who are in work still not having enough money at the end of the week um, to be able to put food on the table. Yeah, and there are lots of ways of, of curing that without necessarily nationalising everything and being anti-business. Yeah, no, no, though. I agree. You know, I but, agree. But, but, but here's but an interesting... Point is, Go on. Sorry, my point is that I'm not sure it's about a left-right um, issue it's, or left-right centre, whatever. I think that's a slightly um, old-fashioned way of looking at it. It may well it's be. It's much more about people's forming, their, their sense of identity and somehow or other we just didn't manage to chime with that either in 2010 or 15 or 17 or 19. Right. So and, it's not and, and just it's... about in the, the manifesto and whether it was incredible, though I think to many people, um, I, uh, I, somebody in the PLP last night said that it was like we, um, we were in a, um, we'd been locked in the um, sweet um, shop and didn't know where to start. Yes, but also it's been deliberately moved to the left. I mean, you say it's not about left-right, and you may well be correct about that. However, since the days of of, 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 of Miliband taking over, he lost, he said, because he wasn't far, wasn't left-wing enough. So it went more left-wing, and it's actually got worse. So you can only conclude, surely, that the more left-wing you are, the worse the result is, because I'm reading a piece this morning uh, written by the guy who lost uh, up in Houghton and Sunderland South, the Tory MP, who's basically saying that if it wasn't with the Brexit party, Labour would have actually been reduced to 168 seats rather than the 202 they've got today. So it could have actually been a lot worse. And and surely, knowing what you know about the, the, the new Labour experience, you know, you win elections by being more in the centre. Well, I think you win elections by being credible. Um, and uh, and the, you know, the art of politics is, is the art, or politics is the art of the possible. Yeah. And, and I think, it, you know, we, we were offering the sky and, and some people thought, well, that's very nice. I like the sky, but I'm not sure that it's yours to offer. Um, and, but, but by converse, in 1997, when we won the 1997 election, we were so cautious that, you know, for the first two years, we weren't we're going to do anything about Tory spending plans, which meant that it was terribly difficult to do anything about the NHS in those first two years. Right. So... Sometimes it's about caution and ambition. Sometimes it's about the individual, you know, the personnel involved. 
Um, I think also one of the things that played into this is, you know, we made, we, the Labour Party, made a strategic error in voting for this general election at this time before Brexit was in any sense sorted. We had the government on the ropes in terms of the numbers in the House of Commons. We could have um, pursued our own policy quite effectively. The government didn't have the numbers, um, and I have no idea why, why we went forward with the election. Similarly, people like myself who stormed out of the shadow cabinet in 2016, I think we made a strategic error as well then because we just gave the impression that it was the parliamentary Labour Party versus the membership. And that looks like, a, you know, an utterly divided party. Well, it does, because you've got a sort of momentum-controlled party, effectively, and a very different makeup uh, in Westminster. I don't know if you were at this um, uh, meeting last night of the Parliamentary Labour Party. I was. Um, can you tell us, tell us what the sort of atmosphere was like? Was it acrimonious? Was it horrible? Was it just the business of politics? I've known much more acrimonious, actually. <laughs> I, I thought it was, um, you know, people were direct. That's certainly true. Um, but... There wasn't a lot of name calling or anything like that, okay. um, and and people from different perspectives were were able to put them across. I mean, the thing that really struck me was that we all fitted in the room. Yes, that's. And if there had been sixty more of us, we wouldn't. That's right. And so, what is the general consensus about what you do now? Then, I mean, do you um, have a, a big fight about which way the Labour Party now goes? Do you have a big fight about who you now want to be the leader? Uh, does it have to be a woman? Does it have to be? Two women, I mean, you know, are you, what's happening? Well, I think a lot of people are considering whether they should stand for this, that and the other. Um, I'm wondering whether I should stand for deputy leader. Okay. Um, would you, who would you be deputy leader to? Whoever is elected as the leader. I, I'm, you know, I would step aside from... That's very know, I, diplomatic. I think the whole, well, no, I'm, it's, it's a genuine position, which is that, to be honest, I think anybody who's going to be the next deputy leader has got to be able to say... You will never hear of any disagreement between me and the leader um, uh, in public because the role of the deputy leader is to organise, 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 organise and fundraise. Right. And what about the position that you're going to have to adopt on Europe? Because presumably you're going to have to have a position, whether it is, um, I'm told, I'm told uh, or Jeremy Corbyn has said that uh, you're all going to be whipped to vote against the withdrawal bill on Friday, um, which yeah. seems a bit sort of after the Lord Mayor's show, to be honest, because it doesn't really matter. Um, but is there going to be any kind of formulated proper policy about your position on Europe? Well, uh, there will have to be. You're quite right. And, um, I mean, my, as you know, we've had this discussion before. I, I, I was a Remainer, I remain a Remainer, and I will remain a Remainer until my dying day. Um, but I fully accept that we have effectively had a second referendum now. Um, uh, Brexit is going to happen, and I guess it will happen at the end of January unless there's some kind of slip um, in the way the government organises stuff. Uh, we will have to, I think we should do proper scrutiny of the bill that comes before us. Um, I've always been in favour of proper parliamentary scrutiny. Otherwise, you tend to end up with, you know, un unintended mistakes. Um, but then there's going to be this next issue, which is what is our future relationship then with the European Union going to look like? Will Welsh farmers be able to sell lamb in Europe without tariffs? You know, fundamental question for, for me. Um, and uh, we will have to develop a policy around that. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. I suspect that won't really happen until we've got a new right. leadership team in place. Um, I, I do think that it has to be a whole leadership team. And, and it, it can't just be members of the former shadow cabinet. Um, well, John McDonald's already said he's not going to be part of a new shadow cabinet. So you yeah. would think that, that if he leaves and Corbyn goes, you would think that that would signal some kind of step change, wouldn't you? Yes, and, uh, 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 you know, the main thing I hope is that 
um, all the people of talent in the Parliamentary Labour Party will want to take part in the front bench, you know, in, in, in driving the, you know, the Labour Party forward. You know, sometimes people say, oh, it's inevitable we'll now lose the next general election because we've got to win 123 seats to, to win and things look difficult mm. in Scotland. Um, I, I've, I've written a few history books. I've never used the word inevitable because nothing ever is inevitable. <laughs> it's just whether you choose to al- allow um, the likely... Um, to become inevitable. But you are so, destined to sit on the sidelines for the next five years, probably, aren't you? Uh, well, yes, but there are clever things that we can do, and we can harry the government, we can harass them, we can intimidate them, we can be a bloody nuisance, and we can make sure that they don't get away with idiocies. Um, You're not going so with we, Ian Blackford's we, we be, uh, sentiments yesterday, then? <laughs> um, when he said no, everybody should be treating each other with respect. Oh, yes, we should we, we do it with respect, but I think we can still be a bloody nuisance. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, we should be the, the the country didn't give us the job of government, but it gave us the job of opposition, and we should do that better than we've done it for the last few years. Okay, Chris Bryant, thank you very much indeed, Chris Bryant, the uh, Labour MP, re-elected for the Ronda, uh, of course, says that he will harass and be a bloody nuisance to the government, uh, but with respect because uh, they're not going to be able to do anything to the Labour Party over the next five years. What on earth has become of them? What on earth has become uh, of what used to be a very, very um, sort of credible political organisation? It is now a complete and utter mess, isn't it? 0344 499 1000. And actually, a useless opposition doesn't really help anyone, does it? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Lots of you talking about the Whirlpool scandal as well because we found out in the first hour how hopeless Whirlpool are being uh, with this recall about hot point washing machines uh, and indecent washing machines as well. Katie Grant from the iPaper told us that not only is the website down uh, but the telephone inquiry line is not working either. Uh, if you've been affected by this, we'd love to hear from you as well. You can tweet us, of course, at Talk Radio at IROMG. Let's talk to Chris Hobbs now, though, uh, because we've done this many times before, uh, but it turns out that the number of migrants arriving uh, in this country over the course uh, course of the last 12 months has reached um, almost 300 different events carrying something like 700 people. And we're told, um, and the local... Um, so the, the local Dover MP has asked Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, to kind of clarify uh, what it is that the money is being used for that's being sent over to France, supposedly to stop this kind of activity from going on. Chris, a very good morning to you. Welcome back. Yeah, hi, Mike. I mean, uh, it's, it just goes on and on this, doesn't it? Last time you and I spoke about this, um, we said, surely something has to change. The way that the French have to police their, their ports and their border must, must change, and we must change the policy that we have here as well. Uh, otherwise, these people are just going to keep coming. Well, that's right. And, and you probably have to say that um, the French police, who, who are doing quite a lot over the other side in terms of breaking up camps, moving people on, um, would much rather stand aside and let them come here because it's not a very popular posting. And I think their view, as I understand it, is, that, of course, if the French have already got large, large numbers of, of migrants, refugees, call them what you will, right. that they're having to deal with who, who want to remain in France. Um, and therefore, if people want to come to Britain, well, OK, <laughs> where's the problem? But they, they are doing something. I mean, they, they, they do have boats out there. We have put money into them. Um, we, we're probably paying for French police overtime and French police to be uh, along the coast, mm. an unpopular posting. Um, but the, the traffickers 
seemed to be holding sway. And as, as fast as they're arrested, of course, um, others reappear to take their place and, and the problem is ongoing. I think that the actual figure over the last few months is probably something um, approaching maybe even 2,000. Is that right? That have made their and way. And these people yeah. are all still here, as we said the last time we had this conversation, because, you know, we are not like the Australians were back in the days when they would basically tell the Afghan refugees who were coming on, on big boats to, 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 to stay away from Australia, they're going to fire on them. You know, here what happens is we, we you know, and you might argue this is what we should be doing. I don't happen to, to, to agree. We should not be welcoming them with open arms and giving them houses and telling them they can stay. I think part of the issue, as we probably said before, is that when they get here, um, they are processed. They're not sent straight back. And I think Boris did sort of allude to the fact that when he first took office, they'd be sent straight back. Yeah. But they're, they're processed. And I suspect the ones that are sent back are the ones who've previously registered somewhere in Europe. Yeah. Um, but the ones that remain here are the ones who probably deliberately avoided being registered because they know that increases the chances of them being sent back. And then they go into the asylum process yes. here, which, of course, means um, almost certainly being found lodging because there's not enough room in detention centres to house well, that's everyone right. who comes And many in. of them will disappear into, into the, the, sort of the, the, the background and nobody will see them again. Yeah, that's right, that they will. Um, but then, of course, if you talk to border force officers, they, they will also say this happens a lot at our borders where people come through, show their passports, perhaps with a visa, and still don't go back. Mm. <laughs> because, and there is no, there's no automatic spew out, as it were, in, in terms of the systems, the antiquated systems we've got that will tell border force or the home office when someone has overstayed their six months or whatever they're entitled to right. be here. So the, the problem is probably much greater than just the ones coming across the channel. We've, we've got a general problem. And if we look at the lorries, Mike, you know, that, that awful incident up in Perthfleet yeah. that we re remember, remember only too well and people being discovered in Ireland, what we don't know is, is how many are actually getting in here that are never discovered. Yes. But what uh, we do know is, for example, that all of those people uh, who died in, in the back of that lorry were from Vietnam, as it turns out. Many of them had paid an awful lot of money to people traffickers to get here, and they had come via a very sort of obscure route through Ukraine, possibly uh, through Russia, and then into Eastern Europe. And, you know, they could then go, I suppose, in a variety of ways, either to Ireland or to the UK. Um, and we, we, we just have to get better at somehow stopping it, don't we? Well, we do, and it was interesting, wasn't it, a few weeks ago, there was criticism of the police saying they needed to devote much more resources to dealing with the problem of human trafficking. Mm. Uh, and, of course, recently, in the last couple of days, we've had criticism of the police saying that they're not doing enough in terms of uh, sexual offences, including rape. In fact, police have been accused of not doing enough in just about every field. I think. But it, but it is very difficult um, to deal with human trafficking. The National Crime Agency take the lead on that. They have had some success, but as fast as they arrest traffickers, um, be it in cooperation with the French in France or in the UK, then others take their place. Um, it, it really is a, a major problem. Um, you know, that, that we have to face, and we haven't really, in all honesty, Mike, no matter what money we're pouring into it, because of austerity, because of the cuts, we haven't really got the resources no. to tackle it in the way it should Didn't, be. Aren't we supposed to have some kind of border force? Whatever happened to that? Well, bless them. I mean, I, I've got a lot of time for the border force because I used to work with them. Mm. Um, they are recruiting more border force officers um, pre-Brexit, but there, there are issues of retention. 
Um, once people that people are recruited, but they seem to not to want to stay very long. And if you look at the last Border Force Officer survey, the staff survey, which many of them refuse to complete, but there is no confidence in senior Border Force officials at the Home Office or in government ministers. Mm. So not surprisingly. So you, what you've got there is a, and their pay increases have been almost non-existent over the last few years. So you've got in the Border Force very low morale, but they do work hard. They work hard at Dover. A lot of them are in Calais where they do, you know, that is fairly effective. Mm. Um, but of course that displaces the, the migrants, the um, the asylum seekers, it displaces them to elsewhere. Right. And they're still along the coastline and they're still being broken up. Some say, you look at the human rights groups quite brutally by the French police, but they're not going away. They're still there and they're still trying to get across. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the, the way to solve this is, is, is to stop the people trafficking. But I'm told that people trafficking is now more profitable than actually drug trafficking. So a lot of people are doing it and it's not a, nasty, it's not a nice lot of people that are doing it. It's a pretty nasty organised crime type gang uh, uh, which, is, which is doing it all. That's right. And the estimates, really, what human smuggling is worth is, is between three and six billion pounds a year. Right. So, so there is huge sums of money to be made. And, of course, the people that tend to be arrested are those at the, the bottom end of the ladder, the ones at the very top, the ones who are really creaming the money off. Mm. Of course, it's, it's an international problem, and you need massive international cooperation to actually bring those people down. When you look at it, the investigations to bring the people at the top down will be incredibly complicated. Um, and, of course, we await to see what happens in terms of cooperation, what happens in, uh, in terms of the Brexit agreement. Yeah. Uh, in well, we would surely be more within our rights to deport them back to France once we have left the European Union because we'll no longer be in the same economic area, we'll no longer be in the same political arena, uh, we will be a separate organisation, a separate country from France, um, and so therefore I would have thought you'd be able to much more easily send them back to France and say, sorry, uh, that's where you live, that's where you, um, whether you registered there or not as a refugee, that's where you're going to stay. You could be right there, Mike, but equally that could provoke a massive international incident with the French police standing, you know, how we send them back, be it by plane, be it by ferry, standing and saying, non, you're not coming in. Yeah. Well, um, something drastic has to, be, has to be done, or is this going to carry on, or will we have the same conversation this time next year, Chris? Yeah, I think you're right, but I think the way that you're going to have to tackle it is, is really with cooperation. You need to increase the resources available to the police, the National Crime Agency. There needs to be better cooperation across Europe. And if we, after Brexit, we could lose access to Europol, to various European databases that are absolutely crucial, really, to us. So we could be in a worse position, and, and we really don't want to do that. We really need whatever happens post-Brexit. Uh, we really need that cooperation to yeah. continue and be enhanced and be much better than it is at the moment if we're going to get anywhere near cracking these uh, trafficking gangs. Sure. Chris, thank you very much indeed. Chris Hobbs there, former Met Police Officer and Border Patrol Officer as well. I mean, you know, I can't keep having the same conversation with people. This is starting to annoy me now because we have to find a solution. Every time we talk about these migrants coming over in these boats, we get the same uh, answers, the same questions, the same results... 
It's not good enough. Pretty Patel needs to do something and she needs to come up with some uh, solution to this uh, which is better than the current one that we have. Because the current one that we have is that if you turn up in Dover on one of these boats, you get taken in, you get registered as a refugee, you get given some kind of lodging because you can't be held in a detention centre. If you are held in a detention centre, you're not held there for very long. And the only people who get deported back are those who have registered their uh, residences somewhere else in Europe. So if you haven't done that, uh, they get to stay here, which is madness, isn't it? Absolutely crazy. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So name-calling is something that's been going on for a very long time indeed. Some names are now no longer usable. You can't call people things that will upset them. You can't call people things that will be racially discriminatory. You can't call people um, some really, really nasty, ghastly names if you're at work because you might well get sacked for it. But let's talk uh, right now to Dr Sonia Falk, who's a psychology lecturer and psychotherapist, because um, there's been a suggestion that hate crime should be expanded so that many, many more things could become a hate crime. Dr Sonia, very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Um, What's your sort of raison d'etre for all this? Do you think that there's more hate crime going on that should be classed as hate crime, or do you think that we should be making sure that uh, we sort of shut down any kind of insults that people might use? Well, I think um, it's really good for society to become more aware of individual differences between people that they get discriminated against for and um, insults that have been legislated against in relation to individual differences to do with disability, age, race, sexuality have been legislated against. Um, I would prefer a society where legislation is not... Well, needed. that would be nice. I was going to say, you should have a look on Twitter once in a while and see what names people get called and what names I get called sometimes from, uh, sure. from out there. Yes. Because it's well, not... names I'm being called for what I'm saying today. <laughs> well, there you go. But, I mean, is it really an insult to call somebody a nerd or a geek? It depends, the way, it depends on the way in which it is used, and that is what is made clear in, for example, the Equalities Act, the Public Orders Act. Um, they are showing that when language is used 
with the intent to harass somebody or to set them apart in a way that is damaging for them, then that is um, language that should be legislated against. Yes, and I think everybody would agree that there are certain words which we're not going to say, obviously, because they're not the sort of words you can say on the radio, um, that you wouldn't say to somebody. And and many of those words would result in you being prosecuted for for some kind of hate crime of, of one kind or another. But I think people also are nervous of making too much of something like hate crime because I mean I, I can't really imagine a situation where the word nerd or the word geek would be terribly offensive I mean people that I know who are maybe a bit geeky and a bit nerdy will actually say themselves I'm a bit of a nerd well um, if you actually speak um, to people who have been bullied using those words particularly growing up then you get a different impression of what impact it's had on them and I think people, um, this is something I'm really interested in, is that the very high IQ individuals in our society are a minority group and they are very unrecognized. And people within that minority group themselves try to find ways of coping by making themselves invisible. And it's usually... People with very um, high IQs are usually very successful, aren't they? Well, that is the paradox because those who have had good support and have been able to be resilient and have found ways of channeling their abilities can be hugely successful. Mm. Um, and that is why I think those who are discriminated against and bullied and who are not having their needs recognised and supported are very much ignored. See, I think, you've hit, on, I think you've hit on the answer there. You talk about being resilient, and I think teaching people to be resilient is far better than punishing people for offending them. Do you know what I mean? Because then that way, if somebody's trying to be offensive to you and you have a resilient personality, then it doesn't matter, you know? Because you can't be bullied, effectively. Well, I'm not sure that that's true. If you think of oh, I think uh, minority groups, um, ethnic minorities, uh, sexuality minorities... Yes, but if you're would, resilient people as an say... individual, right? if you're a resilient individual, what people say to you means absolutely nothing sticks and stones will break my bones. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true, don't you? No, I don't, because, um, and, and there has been research that's really proven that. There was a study in The Lancet which showed that bullying by peers can produce more long-term anxiety, depression... Oh, I agree with that. I'm not, I'm not saying that bullying doesn't hurt people. What I'm saying is if you teach people to be unaffected by it, by being resilient and by not being uh, victimised by it, they can triumph over the bullies and the bullies will give up. And that's, that would be my kind of, you know, way of, 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 of facing up to bullies. Well, I think helping people to learn how to cope with being bullied is an important intervention, but I also think making society more aware of the impact of bullying and um, teaching the values of not bullying people who stand out as being different are surely values that we as a society would want to promote. Well, that does go on, but it doesn't help people not to be bullied, you see. That's my problem, is that if you say to people bullying is wrong, many of them won't stop doing it. They'll continue to do it because they feel that they can pick on people and they usually pick on weaker people, they usually pick on people that they know they can bully. Whereas if you can teach resilience and I'm sorry to keep repeating this, but if you could teach resilience, then the bullies have nobody to bully, do you know what I mean? Well, it would be good if that is how it worked, but unfortunately that's not the way it works. And even when you mentioned now that there's some words that 
wouldn't be able to be said on radio. That is because of um, activism around language and harassment and hate crime, which has changed society's views of what kind but it, of language but, but is that's acceptable. But that's exactly my point. It hasn't, because people still use that language. I just can't use it on the radio. That doesn't mean that the people are not using it on the outside world, because people are. But, but the there are lots is, of areas where they wouldn't use it anymore because they have recognised... Well, if it's all working so well, how come there's so much hate crime going on? Because we're now registering more hate crime than ever. Well, there's an attempt to respond to that, and I think that's, that's what people do with trying to um, bring about social movements against these sorts of dis discriminatory behaviours, is recognising what a problem it is and then trying to find ways of responding. And I think it's important to talk about this. It is. It is important. But it's also important not to uh, include too many things which then kind of dilute the message, if you like. And people on Twitter at the moment are reacting to what you're saying by saying, actually, if you put words like nerd and geek into hate crime, then suddenly you're diluting the really serious hate crime when people call each other names which are homophobic or call each other names which are in some way racist. Well, what you're saying there is, is showing a view that um, certain ways of taunting people are less acceptable or more acceptable well, they are. than well, other ways. Well, that's a fact, isn't it? Well, that's something I'm calling into question. Well, I you don't think, think people um, should be allowed to taunt one another. I mean, that's what British people do all the time. We, we are constantly making fun of each other. We are constantly taking the mickey out of each other. And sometimes that involves taunting. Well, well the way you're talking about it is as though it's quite harmless and fun. Well, because it is. Yeah, that's because well, it is. Well, a lot of it isn't. And I think that's where well, the problem lies. Well, some of it, no, some of it isn't, right? And I think you're confusing the serious stuff with the non-serious stuff, and I think that's dangerous because then you create people's willingness to do it without thinking that it's different. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, I, I think if you um, work clinically with individuals who have been discriminated against for having very high IQ, um, you see what the effects on them are. I work um, with lots of people with high IQs, and they seem perfectly fine to me. Well, probably because you've met the ones who are thriving, of which there are many. Um, I don't think you're going to get much sympathy for having a minority group of people with high IQs, to be honest. Well, I think it's hard for people to be compassionate towards a group of people, who, um, some of whom are outstanding and do very well. Um, but that's the kind of tip of the iceberg. There are many who are not doing well at all. Our schools, for example, in the UK, in the state system, do not recognise children who are most able and they don't have um, generic routines for how to support the needs of children like that and children who are not being supported in their needs um, really do suffer at school. So, for example... Well, lots of children that, that suffer at school, and that's how you become resilient, isn't it? Don't you, as a parent, don't you teach your children to be resilient? Well, um, if you think at the other end of the spectrum, children who have learning disabilities, people don't say to them, well, just be resilient, and it doesn't matter... Well, actually, if you, if, you, if you taught them... Special needs yeah, education. Well, yeah, but if you taught them to be resilient, they wouldn't need special needs education, would they? Um, that's not true, because a person who cannot cope with 
the way that the general education level is pitched um, is not going to get through that just by being taught to Well, be there's resilient. a very wide spectrum of people who get special needs education and you can't lump them all in as one. That's for a start. No, I, I don't lump them well, all in as did. well. But, you, but said that they, you just said that re, re, you know, being resilient wouldn't help them. It would help quite a lot of them. Well, what I'm saying is that individuals with very high IQ um, tend not to be recognised as a group that have special needs um, who do need adjustments made in um, the services that are provided. And, and that so you, is so you that want to, so, so you want to have a special category for people who are uh, nerds, in other words? I think recognising individuals with very high IQ and how that affects them and how that makes them different from the majority is something really important to be recognised and that I would be very much in support of finding ways to understand that and have compassion towards that. Do you consider yourself to be a high IQ individual? Um, I am classified as a high IQ individual, yes. Who by? Oh, who by? Yeah. Oh, just by standardised intelligence tests. I Anybody see. takes a standardised intelligence test. And do you feel as though you've, they, you've had a um, rough life because of the fact that you're high IQ? Um, well, I have had um, my own personal experiences of different kinds, just as anybody has. But what I'm talking about is not my personal experience. I'm talking about research. No, but you must um, be using your own personal experience as well. Well, any researcher comes into their research because of some personal interest. And so that is true of anybody who researches anything. Um, but it's not just the individual experience that makes it important to think about. It is the number of people and the number of research projects and books that have been written about the sort of thing. And that's why I think it's really important to think about it. OK. Well, good luck with it, because I'm not sure uh, you've convinced anybody listening, I'm afraid. Dr Sonia Falk there uh, talking about high IQ individuals and how they should be uh, a minority and how you shouldn't be mean to them. And you shouldn't call them nerds or geeks, uh, even if they, they want you to. OK? Got that? 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk Radio. More gun talk from a water pistol from the Farmer of Fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. We're giving you the chance to win £1,000 in time for Christmas on Talk Radio's new £1,000 Thursday competition. Imagine what you could do with a grand. To be in with a chance of winning the cash, correctly answer the following question and enter into the prize draw. We must receive your entry before 6pm tomorrow. The question is this. Who is the older of these two celebrity chefs? Is it A, Jamie Oliver, or B... Gordon Ramsay. Text the word WIN followed by your answer, either A or B to 85544 that's 85544 text messages will be charged at £1.50 plus your standard network rate uh, and of course you can enter as well at talkradio.co.uk entries must be received before the lines close at 6pm tomorrow that's Thursday, December the 19th. Terms and conditions and competition rules apply. See talkradio.co.uk for details.
And if you've missed any of the shows this week so far, don't forget there's a podcast that comes out every single day uh, that you can get your hands on, usually uh, mid-afternoon. Uh, and we'll be doing that, of course, all the way through until Friday of this week. We're going to go back to the phones in a moment, 0344 Let's talk to Tony, who's in Nottingham, wants to talk about hate crime. Hello, Tony. Hello, are you all right? You're very well, sir. What do you want to say? I just think um, I'm an ex-police officer, so I know a little bit about this. And okay. I think that the, the main problem is, is it's all based on perception. Mm. So uh, an example I could give, if we had an argument in the street, and yeah. for whatever reason, uh, just in it, sort of picking any sort of random word, I said, I called you a hot dog or something like that, something right. weird. Okay. Uh, and you perceived that as um, being hateful for whatever reason, right. like a bit homophobic or racist or anything. Yeah. And the incident ended up being reported to the police because I don't know, was it was like a road raid incident or whatever. If you perceive that as being hateful, it is then yeah. uh, primed as such. So that, you know, hate. And, and every time you have any incident, and what used to really got in mind is usually taxi incidents, um, uh, the, the, the response, they, people know the response is going to get a better response if they can sort of say, oh, yeah, oh, by the way, he said this to me. And, yeah. and, and I, do you know what I mean? And that's why... No, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I'll give you two examples. Right? I, I was a victim of this and I was out uh, with my daughter and her boyfriend a couple of years ago. We were at a bar in Camden. And um, I was messing about playing pool, this, that and the other. We got into a bit of a, an argument with some people who were trying to take over the table. And they happened to be Asian. And one of them went over to the bouncer and said I'd, I'd called him a racial name, which I hadn't done at all. Unfortunately, yeah. we were able to clear it up. But at one point or other, it was they were going to throw me out uh, for being racist, right? And I was like, well, I didn't say that. So it's absolute rubbish. And the second one I'd tell you about is up in Scotland when I was working up there. There was a fight outside a bar. And during the process of the fight, one of the, the, the Scottish guy called the English guy, he used the B word, but he called him an English B, right? And yeah. the, so the police had to register it as a hate crime. Yeah, well, it's, 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 yeah, it's, and that's the case. That's happening all day in, day out. And so if you if you um, are in, uh, taking a statement from anybody about any crime or whatever, you go through a series of sort of uh, generic questions. Uh, some of those will be, um, you know, and did you perceive this as being hateful and, 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 and or, you know, did you perceive offence from it? So it's all about perception. So if you're yes. sort of living in a world where everything, more and more now geeks and nerds are right. uh, a, a protected species or whatever... Um, uh, uh, and it used to be, we had a big thing, a big drive with uh, emos. That was a new sort oh, of yeah. group of people that were, uh, uh, you know, um, another strand of diversity. Yes, that, 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 that but they thing. call themselves and, that, right? So I, I don't well, understand it, how yeah. that becomes then in any way an insult. But, but, but so all, you, when you were a police officer, when you were yeah. a police officer, Tony, were you you were encouraged to ask these questions, presumably? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And, there's, and, and even if even if it's not a crime, even if it's something's not a crime. So say there's, there's two people talking on a bus. And they're saying something like, for example, I don't think that a, um, a, a biological man who suddenly says he's a woman is a woman. Yeah. And a, a third party were to overhear that, they could um, create, a, they could phone that into the police and, say, and it would be crime. It'd be recorded as a hate incident. Right. And that's all, all factored in. So in a sort of environment where everything is becoming or could be perceived as hateful, it's no wonder that hate crime is going through yes. the roof. Well, of course it is, because there's, there's a crime that was created uh, for people to report people on, which previously didn't exist. So it's almost exactly. bound to only go in one direction, isn't it? Exactly, and uh, yeah, more and more. And, and this it's all this sort of like, endless nonsense, I think, is, uh, you know, or just, just, just one of the reasons why, why Labour's gone so catastrophically wrong, because yes. they've relied on that so much. And nobody um, in the real world actually thinks that way. 
not not at all, not right. at all. They it's, 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 might as well be talking a different language because it's yeah, it's just it's just farcical and it's just comical. I know. Well, listen, great call, Tony. Thank you very much indeed. Let's talk to Chris, uh, who is in Leicestershire. Hello, Chris. Hello. How are you? I'm very well indeed. What can I do for you? Well, uh, I just. Um stumbled onto your station uh, just as the, the dot, the, the lady was talking about this geek <laughs> Welcome. thing. Welcome. <laughs> it's not, always this, it's not always this ridiculous, I have to tell you. Oh, it was mad. I was, it was, I don't often scream at the radio, but I was doing <laughs> that. You know, from my, my own background, I was listening to this woman that say how people with high IQs um, and geeks, uh, are called geeks and nerds, right. should be looked after and protected. I know. And it should be recorded as a hate crime. Now, my own background, I was top stream at, at school. I went to a comprehensive GASP um, school and I was top stream, did my O-levels, shows my age, uh, A-levels, went to university. I've got a PhD in medical biochemistry and I work for a government agency company. Right. Um, so you so would consider I, yourself a high IQ individual then? I, I, I consider myself a high IQ uh, individual. I was called a geek and a nerd at school. Right. Back in the mid, uh, you know, early mid '80s, right. um, and yeah, I just thought, yeah, I'm a geek and a nerd. So what, you know? And and well, you were very successful, now. a geek and a nerd, if I may say so. Yeah, I, I like to think I am, um, and it doesn't bother me. I'm a geek, you know. It's, do you remember there was that incident a little while ago where where Boris Johnson called somebody girly swat, and That's then right, yeah. everybody's wearing. You saw Steph McGovern wearing that top, yeah. you know. And then she, and then she mentioned it again when she had to hand over to him at some ceremony or other, and and and, and it became yeah. a thing, you know. And he was then labelled yeah. as some kind of ghastly, dreadful misogynist. Yeah, but she she took that and turned it into something positive, which yeah. was, you know, it's not, what's wrong with being a girly? Swan? Yeah. And it's the same here. What's wrong with being called a, a geek or a nerd? But this is what I was about... saying about resilience. You know, you teach your own kids, if you have them, mm. you know, how to put up with that sort of nonsense. Because what you... I yeah. mean, I, and I realise that a lot of people don't have those tools and a lot of people do get bullied, and I accept that. But you're not going to stop yeah. those people from getting bullied by now putting more people into the place where they can be bullied instead of telling them to be resilient and to fight back. No, exactly. I mean, it, it, I was told when I was a kid... You know, oh, you're being called a geek and a nerd. Well, that's because that's what you are. You are a clever person. You right. Know, grow, you know, as my dad said, grow a pair. And the people um, that called you those paying... names are probably working in the local McDonald's. We, I'll tell you something. Uh, we had a school reunion, and yeah, they some some of them were working. You know, these are the people that bullied me, made my life a bit of a misery mm. when I was at school, and are now sitting there looking at me, going, okay. Yeah, you know, one of them stood there next to me and said, I always knew you'd do all right, Chris. It's like, yeah, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is a delicious irony to all of that. But you're quite right, Chris. Listen, I hope you stay. Uh, thank you for stumbling onto us at Talk Radio. Uh, we do uh, love new listeners. We do love new callers. And we talk to an awful lot of people now more uh, than we used to because we are the fastest growing radio station in the world. If you haven't seen it, by the way, uh, my uh, top 20 planks or top 100 planks uh, list is now uh, a video. And you can go and watch it on the uh, Twitter feed that we have here at Talk Radio. And it's going to be on Facebook shortly as well. Let's talk to Ken, uh, who's in Luton. Hello, Ken. Morning, Mike. Morning, sir. Well, it's afternoon, actually, now. We've, afternoon, we've, we've, been, waiting, we've yeah. been waiting so long for uh, somebody else to run for the head of the Labour Party. We've now got Emily Thornberry uh, joining oh, the race. Oh, well, if, she's, if her or Keir Starmer or Yvette Cooper are picked as a Labour Party, 
they will be in the wilderness for another 20 years. I think you're absolutely right. I can't see them getting anywhere in 10, no matter who they find. Well, last year I rang you, yeah. after they had their conference, Yes. when they ditched, oh, we're going to uh, honour the referendum, to, yeah. oh, we're going to have a second uh, people's vote. Yeah. Because uh, Keir Starmer and Eleanor Thornbury wanted it. So he done that. So, and then there's Yvette Cooper, who come on this morning, Mike. I could not believe it. On Radio 4, she's yeah. still saying, oh, we can't leave without a deal. Well, she was been saying that for three years. Yeah. Well, also, what about Jeremy Corbyn whipping the Labour MPs to vote against the deal <laughs> on Friday? I mean, have they learnt nothing, these people? No, that's what I say. I mean, she had a majority of 26,000 when her constituents voted leave. Yeah. She got through by 1,200 this week because the Brexit party got 8,000 and the Tories got 14,000. Yeah. She'd have been ousted if the, one of them two had stood up... Uh, off, off. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm going to convert the old joke about uh, millionaires. You know, how do you start with? Uh, how do you get a small majority as a Labour MP? Start with a large one. Yeah, that's right. You know, because they're all going backwards. Nothing. It's absolutely incredible, isn't it, Ken? Thanks for your call. Um, lots more of you wanted to get on. We can't really get many more of you on because we are literally out of time. I'm sorry to tell you, uh, but coming up you are going to have the delights of Ian Collins and Kevin O'Sullivan fresh uh, from their Christmas dinner. Uh, no doubt they'll be explaining to you why they've had their Christmas dinner so early, because I haven't had a Christmas dinner yet. Uh, I'm having my Christmas dinner at Christmas. That's when I have it. That's why it's called Christmas dinner. 0344 499 1000. Uh, with apologies, uh, we shall be back tomorrow from 10 o'clock. Uh, we'll be bringing you, obviously, um, the Queen's speech, which will be happening at some point during the course of the day. I'm not sure uh, if we're going to be down in the tent uh, in Westminster, but I don't think we are. There's people shaking their heads behind the glass. And they are, of course, all people with very high IQs because they've been examined before they were able to come and work here. And as I've said to you, we're only now going to talk to people with high IQs because, obviously... Uh, they are the people who are the most vulnerable in society. Are they not? This is Talk Radio. We'll see you tomorrow. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.